0: This podcast is a marketing communication and is for investment professionals only. The information and views expressed, including any reference to specific investments, does not constitute investment advice, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investments. Past performance is not a guide to future performance, and the value of an investment may fall as well as rise. welcome to taking stock hosted by finley park welcome everyone to another episode of uh, taking stock uh, from finley park my name is simon Pryke. i'm chief executive uh, at finley park uh, since 2016 and a managing partner here i am joined by uh my fellow managing partner anthony kingsley our chief investment officer so, Anthony, today we're going to be talking about uh, the investment outlook that we see today, uh, but also about the world 20 years ago, casting our minds back to how we were approaching investment with our philosophy in 2002 and the naughties. So, Anthony, it's uh, 2023. You joined Finley Park as the third partner in 2002. I won't remember how long ago that is. What did you like about the philosophy uh, underpinning the investment process when you joined Finley Park? Yeah, so w- so what I
1: really liked about the investment philosophy is that it was designed to generate a really attractive compound rate of return, and compounding is something that I really sort of discovered under James Finley. Uh, that if you want to generate a really good compound rate of return, first of all, you have to have to have a lot of patience. Um, I think, as Charlie Munger once said, you know, uh, never interrupt it. Um, And uh, it's actually easy to say, but harder to do. But the other aspect of compounding, of course, is managing that downside risk. And that's really part and parcel of the investment philosophy that, uh, if you go down 33%, you've got to go up 50% just to go back to where you started. If you go down 50, you've got to go up 100. And therefore, trying to avoid individual losses in any individual stock you know, is going to be very helpful to be able to produce a long-term compound rate of return. And so the idea of producing this really long-term compound performance um, through this investment philosophy
0: held huge appeal for me. And so let's talk about some of the companies. What twenty-one years on, I, I won't keep highlighting that, but twenty years, one years on, what, what what stands out? What are the what are the really memorable companies that, that you invested in then?
1: Yes, so um, uh, some of our investors may recall Kirby Corp, uh, which was a, a barge company, and um, you know James used to like to say, um, you know, most investors sort of fall asleep. Hearing about this company, but it was incredibly exciting uh, and uh, a, a cheap stock that had a lot of potential for, for a margin expansion, untapped earnings power, uh, and a lot of revenue growth. And so, you know, it was it was one of the biggest holdings in the fund. But really, what I enjoyed in those early years were the conversations um, uh, with, with James, with Charlie, around debating stock ideas um, and having them, you know, pick holes in them. Uh, it
0: was, it was just great fun. It's obviously a great resource we've got, and I've been here eight years now. Uh, Many of the team have been here longer than me, but it's an amazing resource having uh, 25 years, 25 and a half years now of newsletters that we can tap into, because we can sort of all sort of join in that conversation, Um, some of those anecdotes and descriptions of visiting companies uh, 20 odd years ago. Um, Highlights... Low points. Uh, We talk a lot about learning from our mistakes here at Finney Park. Anything stands out there that you wake up thinking about, gosh, mustn't repeat that?
1: Certainly, there have been some uh, investments which uh, I have regretted. But I I think, you know, we've always had this focus on kind of, avoiding permanent capital loss. I, I don't remember anything that, that, you know, we really got our head handed to us. Um, of course, we, we, you know, we lost money in a number of investments. Um, I think the most frustrating times for me have always been where the stock market uh, somewhat disengages from, from reality and you feel rather useless as a fund manager or as an analyst. And, and you know, at those times you just have to step back, whether it was, you know, the technology bubble, Uh, whether it was the the housing bubble in in 2008, whether it was, um, you know, the meme stocks of of 2020. um, You know, there are times where you just have to accept that the market uh, is going to do something a little bit different. But I think, you know, we just have to stick to our discipline. And I think that's helped us because, of course, over the last uh, 25 years, we've had so many different types of stock market environment. And when we started, we had the Asian crisis, um, the, the devaluation of ca- currencies, the capital flight, and then of course the tech bubble, uh, which which everyone will recall, um, and then uh, Iraq War into in the early two thousands, um, the the great financial crisis and the housing the housing crisis. Some people, uh, you know, it's easy to forget the 2015-16 real global recession and, and and the real slowdown in in corporate America. Then of course COVID. <laughs> Um, the meme stocks that I just referred to. So, you know, it's very easy uh, to get uh, sometimes, you know, caught up in in the macro. But sticking to our investment philosophy, sticking to our discipline uh, throughout that environment,
0: um, has been, you know, has been rewarding. So, going to the investment philosophy, uh, one of the things that really appealed to me when uh, I remember someone first handing me the newsletter for New Park. Uh, some 15, 16 years ago, was this clear evidence of a consistent philosophy underpinning the investment approach. Um, It's something now I've joined for Park. I I get access to the list of 29 questions that we ask each company. Um, Should we talk a bit about what's consistent there and why that's been important and and how it sort of helps us navigate uh, finding great companies to invest in across a range of different economic environments that you've just described? Yes, absolutely.
1: So um, I think one of the things that sometimes surprises investors is that uh, more than half are questions on our investment philosophy checklist around the business, the business quality and the business competitive advantage. What is the size of the moat? Is it growing? Um, is it stable? Is it declining? Um, and uh, pricing power you know, is a particularly important one. Um, does the business have pricing power? Is it able to raise prices uh, in, in any kind of environment? And I think with the context of inflation here in the last few years, that's become particularly relevant. Uh, free cash flow is something that's always been very, very important to us. Not what just the earnings power of the business, but what is the free cash flow generating ability of the company. And of course, that allows companies to then allocate that uh, that cash flow. Uh, and And one of the things we pay a lot of attention to is management, because ultimately the return of a business can be significantly influenced by how management allocate that capital have they made good acquisitions Um, do they you know buy back stock Um, and and how they allocate that uh, can be you know a real difference in the in the compound rate of return of the stock over time so we look for good managements that are aligned with
0: with uh, shareholders and all stakeholders so obviously our process, we focus very much on companies. We, we don't try and make bold predictions about geopolitical or, or economic uh, uh, events. Um, but taking a step back, we, we've we touched on the global financial crisis briefly. And that was clearly a, a marked change in the economic environment uh, that investors faced. And we've looked at this in terms of... Um, a game of two halves when it comes to the fund's 25 years, two quite different environments. I suppose a, 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 a big factor I'm really thinking about here is the change in interest rates. Uh, and We're sitting chatting today in, in our library. Uh, behind me is a, a copy of um, The Price of Time by Edward Chancellor, fantastic book about a history of interest rates with somewhat gloomy predictions that whenever rates are very low for a period of time, uh, problems tend to ensue. Can you expand a bit on how we've invested through that period of low rates, and uh, as we seem to be emerging from that period, what are some of the the risks and opportunities? Yes, but it's probably worth just
1: stepping back a little bit further. In the early years, we were very focused on investing in smaller companies, and we found a lot of inefficiencies there. These these companies weren't that well covered. There was a lot of opportunity. Uh, we had a longer list of companies uh, in the portfolio, um, but obviously, obviously, still sticking very much to the uh, investment approach that, uh, that that has tried and tested over the last 25 years. So a lot of business services, companies, um, uh, companies would generate a lot of free cash flow, uh, and so on. But then, um, as you mentioned, in the first 12 and a half years of our 25 year life, we compounded around 12%. But What we were beginning to find were opportunities in that larger cap area, so S&P 500 type companies, uh, which had, frankly, underperformed for a decade. And that allowed us to uh, buy Microsoft at uh, a low multiple of of forward earnings and a number of other large cap companies. Uh, And then... um, What's happened uh, in the last uh, decade or so? These mega cap companies have, have driven a huge amount of the performance of the index. Um, and uh, just to sort of link in the the, the interest rate uh, d- dynamic, of course, um, when rates uh, have have historically uh, been you know at one level and then they fall to close to zero for an extended period of time, that creates a lot of excesses. And uh, perhaps poor capital allocation, uh, asset bubbles, uh, asset inflation. And uh, you know, that's the kind of environment that we've been in the last few, the last number of years. But, uh, but interestingly, obviously, that's changing now. And I think that will lead to perhaps a slightly different environment going forward.
0: I mean, are particularly interesting, aren't they? And I, I was looking at uh, the world of uh, 2002. Uh, disappointingly, I couldn't find a photograph of you at Finney Park then, uh, but I will keep looking. Uh, But a number of sort of uh, stats stand out. I mean, one is that interest rates are in a sort of 5 to 7% range. Um, We're seeing a lot of headlines currently about the challenge of high interest rates. But we've really now returned to that sort of range that that we saw uh, uh, 20 years ago. Um, So that investment landscape has rebalanced to where it was. Um, looking at the world in 2002, our newsletters are full of uh, the huge opportunities in, in mid-cap companies uh, as well, and the enthusiasm with which we were going out to find those 20 years ago. Um, and interestingly, it, was, it appears to be an environment, if I look at some of the press headlines from the time, there was quite a bit of international investor skepticism about the US and where the dollar might go. Um, so there are a number of things we can see in that environment then. Uh, that, that track across and look perhaps somewhat similar in the investment environment we have now.
1: I think that's right. I mean, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme, and uh, it is interesting when you look back as you as you say, Simon. I think there are a lot of parallels, and I think and a particularly important one is that um, small cap and mid cap companies um, are rather out of favour here, which is which is what we were saying in the early slide decks of, of Finley Park and. That, that did change, and we, we evolved the fund to where we found the best risk-adjusted returns. And I think what we've seen in the last two years is that 70% of the new uh, ideas that have come forward uh, from me, from the team, have been in that mid-cap range, so under $50 billion in market cap. So that's where we're finding opportunities. It's driven by valuation, uh, but it's driven by some other factors as well.
0: And we touched on uh, talking about the attributes of companies we're looking for with our philosophy how important management is and something we reflected on is this sort of unquantifiable aspect of management experience um we're coming into an environment now with interest rates with higher inflation uh, there are a lot of investors who just haven't managed money in that environment um and i guess there are some businesses too which are being managed by people who haven't haven't faced that environment Can we talk a bit about some of the some of the resilience, in factors we're looking for in companies we're invested in Um, uh, companies that can deal with inflation, perhaps even benefit from inflation and higher rates?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, which brings me back uh, to the investment philosophy. And one of the questions that we ask uh, is, would we back management to take advantage of a downturn? And, um, you know, coming back to the old newsletters uh, that uh, from from maybe 20 years ago, um, we we always um, referred to companies that can uh, in a strong position to take advantage of a downturn. So, of course, that means good management. That also means good capital allocation. So perhaps they haven't made mistakes in the last few years of overpaying for assets or paying up for overpriced assets, which which they regretted. Um, Being on the front foot in terms of the balance sheet and the leverage, generally our companies um, have low leverage. And on average, average, the portfolio has lower leverage than the S&P 500. Um, And yeah, we want to be in a position that uh, not to waste a good downturn. And um, I think we're, when I look through the portfolio, I feel very confident that we've got strong businesses that are market leaders uh, where the strong are getting stronger and where managements are in a really good position to perhaps take advantage of what's happening with higher rates and uh, you know, more attractive acquisition prices. And you know, there's a real cost of money now and uh, private equity perhaps is no longer quite in the game in the way they were. So yeah, it's really, it's an exciting
0: time for our companies. And something else that comes across a lot in the old newsletters we've talked about as a consistent theme at Finley Park is this avoidance of leverage. We like businesses generating free cash flow without excessive use of leverage. And I suppose when rates go up and companies need to refinance, that's when leverage really, really matters. And we've talked about how that doesn't really seem to have weighed that much on markets yet, but we feel really comfortable here with a portfolio. Uh, that has companies with rather less leverage than than the market?
1: So there's a couple of points there, I think, you know, worth exploring a little bit further. Um, The first is we like companies that generate good free cash flow and good returns on capital without the use of leverage. So, for example, it's one reason why we tend not to invest in banks. They might earn a low ROE, uh, a low teens ROE, but they do it by leveraging their balance sheet, you know, ten times, uh, or leveraging their assets ten times. So we like one of our questions on our philosophy is, you know, are the returns good without the use uh, of, of of excessive use of leverage? Um, but I think the second thing is. Even if we do have leverage on our companies, the quality of the companies means that the gross margins are high, the operating margins are high. Um, the businesses tend to be fairly recession resilient. Um, and so what that means is that maybe their earnings come down a little bit in a slower macro, uh, but they can uh, be very comfortable with that, that rate of leverage or that, a little bit of leverage on the balance sheet. So it's also about you know, the type of business that we invest in. But as you say, on average, we have lower leverage than the index.
0: So perhaps to sort of changing here a bit back, back to the kind of companies we've been investing in the last uh, the, the last year. I noticed that um, looking at uh, the portfolio by size of company, we've had quite a shift over the past two years. I, th- I think we've gone from about 20% of the portfolio held in companies with a market cap less than $50 billion, And that's now over 40%. Uh, And and we found quite a few ideas in that area of the market, so we haven't been explicitly just looking in that area, but that seems to be where we're finding ideas that fit in uh, with our philosophy. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think it's a combination of factors, one of which I mentioned a little bit earlier, which is around the valuation um, of, of mid caps now relative to to the mega caps. I mentioned the outperformance of these, these big cap companies in the S&P, which have frankly grown pretty fast. We think their growth is going to be a little more challenged going forward. And at the same time, there's less interest in mid cap. The relative valuation of mid caps versus the mega caps is, is frankly back to their 1998 lows. So I think that's one factor. But I, then I think the other factor is. Um, uh, uh, aligns with a broader theme of deglobalization, something that we've talked about in earlier newsletters, uh, indeed in earlier podcasts. And um, we have seen um, uh, supply chains moving closer to home. Uh, We have seen bipartisan support for legislation that has, uh, for example, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Jobs Act, the CHIPS Act, Uh, These are huge amounts of stimulus Mm -hmm. that are driving incentives to bring uh, jobs, infrastructure back to the United States. And that, to some extent, uh, Simon, lends itself to more domestic companies. So Mm -hmm. um, ACOM, for example, an engineering services company. Um, Martin Marietta, which has been a long time holding in the portfolio, uh, building, building supplies. Um, And so Ferguson is another example of a plumbing distributor, um, uh, top build and IBP on the on the insulation side. These are quite domestic oriented businesses that in their own right are fantastic fits with our investment philosophy, but should in addition get some really nice tailwinds
0: from some
1: of this legislation and reshoring.
0: So anyway, you know, we, we've touched now on reshoring and reindustrialization of, of, of America, and that's perhaps a good sort of um, lead-in to uh, an act I'd forgotten about, actually, looking back again twenty over 20 years, the U.S.-China Trade Relations Act in 2000. And this was the act that really brought China into the, the World Trading Organization uh, as an active member and really dramatically increased its exposure to global trade. It's a really different world today Uh, after a shift under President Trump. We we know, as you say, have got bipartisan political support for a really, very different relationship with China and an initiative to bring more business back to America, more industrial base, replace some of those jobs which disappeared the last couple of decades. Um, And there seem to be quite a few American companies, domestically focused American companies, that stand to benefit from, from this change. I think that's right, and it, it, it,
1: it um, you know you've been in a period of globalization really since since the Second World War, um, with a number of acts and legislation. Uh, but really, um, is another thing that we had to deal with uh, during the twenty-five last twenty-five years is the is is the Trump tariffs, which you know I think caught everyone off guard initially, um, but as you say now has bipartisan support. So uh, it's another factor that has driven us to focus a little bit more kind of domestically um, with those incentives in place and perhaps be a little bit more cautious on our exposure to China and internationally um, that we really want to be invested uh, in China or have exposure to China through our companies where they really need critical infrastructure. So healthcare, for example, um, and products and services that are not able to um, find themselves. Uh, They may be developing them, but they're going to need Western companies
0: for a while. I think all of this is uh, is a reminder of what a fantastic place to invest uh, America is. Now, we're obviously all enthusiasts for investing in America here, but we've got quite a lot of facts sort of underpinning our enthusiasm. And this is a market with over 300 million uh, consumers. Uh, it's energy independent. That's really underpinning this sort of reshoring and and reindustrialization. What else do you love about America?
1: Yes, absolutely. So you've got the energy independence. You've got the um, the large landscape on which to leverage your product through all these consumers. I think in addition, you've got uh, an economy that's not so reliant on on imports and exports. You've got um, it's self sufficient from a from a food perspective, um, and and just a tremendous entrepreneurial culture with the ability to create companies that twenty five years ago you never heard of, and now they're trillion dollar companies. So America. Uh, is an extraordinary landscape on which to invest, and maybe just to make some parallels back to 2003, when um, you know we were investing in the company here in the early years, is that actually there are a lot of parallels. And I've been using a term here at Finley Park, back to the future um but when you look at the portfolio 20 years ago we had a lot of it services companies we had the rating agencies we had healthcare we had life science tools companies um we had hotel stocks we had a long list of business services companies which included you know waste businesses and 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 uh, uniform rental companies and and distributors and the reason i mentioned that today is that there are many 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 parallels with companies in the portfolio today, they may be
0: slightly different, but um, there's many many similarities. So, Anthony, summing up, uh, where we've returned to the world uh, that you saw 20 years ago in terms of a normalised uh, interest rate uh, environment, uh, we've got some big changes happening in America. America is reindustrializing, it's reshoring, it's changing some of its global trading relationships quite dramatically. How do you see the outlook from here? So the
1: landscape, Simon, is always changing and it's evolving. And we've seen that uh, over the last 25 years and that will continue. But I think what's really important is this tried and tested investment philosophy that has helped us navigate through all different types of environments uh, and um, will uh, allow us to continue to do that. uh, Even if we um, are investing in different types of business, different market caps, uh, more domestic, more international. Um, we are investing with the same investment philosophy and uh, that leaves us incredibly confident about the future and our ability to compound at a really attractive rate over the long term. But Simon, hopefully you can hear and feel my enthusiasm, but let me turn it around and ask you this, put you on the spot.
0: What excites (laughs) you
1: about Findlay Park?
0: Well, I find myself turning to you to to start with, uh, who, who do you work with? Uh, and that's so critical. And we've just got an amazing group of people here who are fun to work with, but just huge experience in investing in America, and and that sense of trust that you can really have in a partnership. We we own our business together. Uh, we sink or swim together. We are we are all in on the Finney Park uh, American Fund. Um, turning to the fund, I, I, I think the philosophy is hugely reassuring because it gives us a really clear framework of how to approach the kind of businesses we think will deliver double digit returns over time. Uh, and then we come back to America. You know, we've said it already, but America is an amazing place, uh, focusing on America exclusively the last eight years after. 20 years as a global investor. I'm just amazed at the diversity of one country in the opportunities there, the kinds of businesses, the the people, and that real sense of kind of energy and innovation.